Thank you, Steve and choir. I heard uh, someone recently say of Oprah Winfrey that she was a deeply spiritual person. What does that mean? When it is said of someone that this person is a deeply spiritual person, what does that mean? Well, I think as far as the world is concerned, they are normally thinking of someone who is somewhat mystical, someone who is otherworldly. There's just something about them that they are different from the rest of us. There are others who think of a deeply spiritual person as being a legalist. He or she is someone who crosses all the T's, dots all the I's, doesn't do anything wrong, and they point out you're wrong. So we think of someone like that as being a deeply spiritual person. I think that generally when we think of someone who is spiritual, we are thinking of a person who has a tendency to be more emotional than someone else. The problem with that is that some people are naturally emotional while others are not. So what does it mean then to be a deeply spiritual person? I believe it means that the person views this life from heaven's viewpoint. I think a deeply spiritual person is someone who understands this life as he looks through the lens of heaven. Today we continue our series from Paul's letter to the Philippians. We have come to chapter 3, verse number 17, and we'll pick up there. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Now, the Bible tells us that as believers, we have a dual citizenship. Obviously, we are citizens of this world. We are citizens of earth. Now, that was very important to the Philippians because understand that Philippi was a Roman colony located in Macedonia. So even though they were located physically in Macedonia, they nevertheless were Roman citizens. That means then that they enjoyed the privileges, the benefits of being a Roman citizen. Because they were Roman citizens located in Macedonia... They received all the benefits of being a Roman citizen. It also meant that they had the protection that came from Rome. Because they were Roman citizens, then it was Rome who protected them. A good good example of that was the Apostle Paul. Paul was arrested, he was imprisoned, and he was about to be beaten when it was discovered that he was a Roman citizen. And the scripture says in Acts 22:29, therefore those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him, 
And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman. So Paul then, because he was a Roman citizen, was protected by the Roman government. So citizenship, earthly citizenship, was important to the Philippians. It's also important to us. Our citizenship is important to us, and we are proud patriots. You see, as a result of being a citizen of this country, we are promised life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So because we are citizens then of this country, we are promised freedom. We are also promised protection that comes from our government. We have all heard recently about the threats made against our country with ISIS threatening to, to come to this country and, and, uh, and we've seen what has happened in some of the other places. We've heard about those threats that have, been, uh, that have been promised against this country. But the job of the government, the first job of our government is to protect our citizens. So then, because we are citizens of this country, it is the responsibility, the first responsibility of the government to protect her citizens. Because we are citizens of this country, there are benefits we enjoy. Security, education, roads, all those kinds of things. They come to us because we are citizens. So, earthly citizenship is important. It is important that we have our citizenship. But the Bible also says that we have a dual citizenship because as believers we are citizens of heaven. In verse number 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, we have a new citizenship. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places. So, Paul says here that we are citizens of heaven. Now, how does one become a citizen of heaven? We know how that one becomes a citizen of this country. Most of us were born into the country, therefore we have our citizenships as a result of birth. There are others who have come other ways. So we understand that. How does a person become a citizen of heaven? Well, we were born to our citizenship, most of us, but concerning heaven... We have to be born again. So we become citizens of heaven then by being born again, according to the Scripture. What does it actually mean? How is one born again? We, we've heard that term. How is a person born again? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that there must be repentance. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. The word repent means that I am convicted of my sin it literally means a change of mind that produces a change of direction. So to repent means that I understand that I have sinned against God, that I'm going in the wrong direction, so I have a change of mind that produces a change of direction in me. I was going towards Satan, now then I'm going towards God. I was going towards hell, now then I'm going towards heaven. So a change of mind that produces a change of direction. There must be repentance, and then the Bible says confession. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then there is faith in Christ in Romans 10, 9, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So the Bible says then that we become a citizen of heaven, 
as we repent of our sin, we confess Christ as Lord, we put our faith in Him, trusting Him to save us. As a result of doing that, we become citizens of heaven and we enjoy the benefits of being heaven citizens. What are they? Well, there could be a lot of them. I'm sure that you could come up with far more than I'm going to mention this morning. But what are the benefits? If you are a child of God, if you're a citizen of heaven, what benefits are available with your citizenship? Well, certainly we would say prayer. I think that prayer is one of the greatest benefits we have, though it's probably one of the least that we use. Prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That is the invitation that comes to you from God the Father. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You're invited to pray. And aren't you glad When someone is ill, we have the invitation to pray for that person. James said in chapter 5, verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Then let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. So when someone is ill, because I am a citizen of heaven, I can pray for that person. It isn't unusual that I wake up at night. In fact, I do that quite regularly. I wake up at night. And and oftentimes, when I do, I I think that, that God begins to bring some of you to my mind, some of you who have illnesses or you're facing circumstances, and I just pray for you. Lift you up to the Lord. because See, I can do that because I'm a citizen of heaven. That's what our deacons do. On deacons' meeting evening once a month, I always announce to you that our deacon prayer team is going to be over in Lindsay at 5.30 and anyone who has any prayer needs, you go over there and those men will surround you and pray for you. Aren't you glad that that's one of the benefits we have as citizens of heaven? We can pray for those who are ill. I, I pray for my children when they travel and I know that you parents do that because I don't care. You know, your children get older but you don't quit worrying, do you? I mean, you're always concerned about them. And when my children are traveling, I pray for them. I wake up at night and I pray for them, asking the Lord to surround them, to protect them, just as you do. But ladies and gentlemen, that is one of the benefits we have as children of God. Because we are citizens of heaven, you and I have been invited to pray. Some of you young people pray for spouse. You know, then you pray to get rid of them, but you pray for one. I remember, you know, you're looking for, I mean, some pretty girl would come by and say, Lord, did you see that one? I think that's one God has for me. But you can do that. You can pray about those things. Because we are citizens of heaven, we are invited to come to the throne of grace, to the throne of Almighty God, and make our petitions known. And then another benefit we have is fellowship with spiritual brothers and sisters. That was especially important in the early church. In fact, the Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Read through the book of Acts and see how the people of God enjoyed being together. 
I love to get together with the people of God. I do. I, I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's, it's just true. I look forward to deacons meeting. Now, I know that's strange for a pastor to say, but I do. I love the fellowship with these men. They are wonderful men of God, and I love them, and I thank God for them. And then we have those opportunities just to be together. And I, I think of, I mean, I look out and I see you, and I, so many of you have a special place in my heart. I look at the early church and see that one of the benefits that was theirs was the fellowship of the saints. They enjoyed being together. Another benefit we have is that we have an inheritance in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Every once in a while I get around someone and they mention that they have a trust. You know, they're a trust baby or they have a trust fund or something. That's no big deal. I'm, I have a trust fund from the Father. I may not have anything in this life, but I want you to know that I am a trust of the Lord Jesus. And so the Bible says that one of the benefits that is ours is that we have an inheritance in Christ. And that means that one day when I die, I'm going to heaven. I don't know what all that means, but I'm going to heaven one day when this life ends for me, that I'm going to go and be with the Lord. So he says that we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of earth. That's important. But we are also, as believers, citizens of heaven. Then he mentions some of the enemies of the cross, that way of life in verse 18. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's concern in the church in Philippi is that there were some false teachers that had infiltrated the church. There were the Epicureans who said that the, the chief purpose of life was the pursuit of pleasure. Then there were the Gnostics. The Gnostics said that everything that is physical is evil. Everything that is spiritual is good. And there was considerable confusion concerning that. So Paul is speaking about those because he's concerned about the church. In verse number 19b, he said, "...whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame." who set their minds on earthly things. So he enumerates their worship there. He said their God is their appetite. What's that mean? Their God is their appetite. What's it mean? Darren Hunt wrote, Perhaps he was thinking of the Cyclops in Euripides of Greek mythology, who said, My flocks which I sacrifice to no one but myself, and not to the gods, and to this my belly, the greatest of the gods, for to eat and drink each day and to give oneself no trouble, this is the God for wise men. The word appetite that is used there literally is translated belly. So maybe that's what it is, but I think that in a broader sense, he is speaking about our fleshly desires, those things that we desire. That, that is the God, those things that we desire, fleshly desires in this life. And he says, whose glory is in their shame. Albert Barnes wrote, they glory in things of which they ought to be ashamed. 
Does it seem to you today that there is very little shame in society? I am struck today by the things people do and they, they, they become celebrities as a result of those things that, of which they should be ashamed. They end up on People Magazine and all the other things and they have television broadcasts. Should be ashamed. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is referring to. He says their minds are fixed on earthly things. They neglect spiritual things in favor of earthly things, believing that he who dies with the most toys wins. So, Paul here is speaking about the gods who oppose Christ. He said their God is their appetite. They have no shame. And their minds are focused on earthly things. And then he mentions their end in verse number 19. Whose end is destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand that with action there is always consequence. Good or bad. With action there is consequence. Whose end is their destruction. Vines says destruction means the consequences of the indulgence of the flesh referring to physical ruin and possibly that of the whole being. In other words, he is saying that because this is their God, the end is destruction in this life. So, here is a person who, who has no preparation for eternity. Here is the person who believes that there is no consequence to their action. And as they live it out, then there is no satisfaction to their life. you ever stand, I know you don't, but you probably know someone who does. You're checking out at the grocery store, and you look at those magazines they have up there. You know, inquiring minds want to know. Now, I know that you don't do that, but there are people who do that, I'm told. The thing that is of interest to me is that there are always these people, the celebrities, people with whom we are familiar and they have some tragic byline. Now, these are people we think they have everything that we want, and yet their life is an absolute disaster. It is not satisfying. In, in the New Testament, there is a story of the rich young ruler who had everything we believe to be important. He was rich, he was young, he had power, and yet it did not satisfy him. That was the reason that he came to Christ. So, Paul is saying those who fail to make that commitment to Christ and their God is their belly, fleshly desires. Their end is destruction in this life and in the life to come. I know that you don't hear much about this today because uh, it, it won't get you a crowd. You know, there, there are a lot of things that we have learned in the church is that if I do this or if I do that, then I can get a crowd there. And a lot of the, a lot of the scripture, if we're honest with it, will not get you a crowd. That makes it no less true. The Bible tells us the end of the one who rejects Christ. And we see that, I think, probably most clearly in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus died, he went to heaven. The rich man died and he went to hell. And the Bible says that hell is a place of torment. In Luke chapter 16, verse 23, in Hades he lifted up his eyes being in torment. 
The Bible says that it is a place of agony. He goes on and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. The word agony means emotional strain and anguish and from which there is no escape. Luke 16, 26, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. Ladies and gentlemen, what he's saying is that these are those people who are enemies of the cross. They have rejected Christ. Their belly is their God. Fleshly desires is their God. Their end is destruction in this life and in the life to come. And the Bible says that those who reject Jesus Christ in the life to come, it is a place of agony, it is a place of torment, and there is no escape. It is for eternity. That's what the Scripture says. So he mentions the enemies of the cross, and then he gives us a pattern, though, that we are to follow in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. The word pattern means an outline, a sketch, thus a pattern. Ultimately, our pattern. Now, Paul is saying here, he said, follow the example that I've set for you. I generally say to you, don't follow my example, follow the teachings that I give to you. But Paul said, follow the example that I give. But ultimately, the pattern we follow is that of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So to imitate God then means that we what? That we walk in love. Why do we do that? We are to walk in... If you're a child of God... Now listen. If you're a child of God, the Bible says that you are to walk in love. Why? Because he says we are beloved children. And because we are children of God, we what? We mimic parents. Children mimic their parents. When my children were little and they were... They'd do something wrong... Linda would say, they are just like, they're just like you. She still says that. I take it as a compliment because they're great kids. But you see, children mimic their parents. Now, if we are children of God, should there not be a reflection of God in your life? If you're a child of God? If God is your Father, if He is truly your Father then should there not at least be a glimmer of God in your life? Because children mimic their parents, and then we are beloved children, but Christ is our example. He says, Christ also loved you. Now, here's what he's saying, that I'm to walk in love. But my love for you is not based on your worthiness of love. I'm to love you why? That's a question. Why am I to love you? Well, I'll go back and say it again. Because Christ loved you. Okay? See, I'm to love you because Jesus loves me. It has nothing to do with you. I am to love you not because of your worthiness. You are to love as a child of God. Not because of someone's worthiness. You are not worthy of God's love, and I am not worthy of God's love. I am to love you, and you may not be worthy, and you are to love me, and I may not be worthy. We are to love because Christ loves us. So he says that we walk in love. Then he said we walk in light in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of life. So 
Paul says that if I am a child of God, then I walk in love, I walk in light, because it is proper for a child of God to walk in light. Ephesians 5.3, But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And a saint is someone who has been... If you are a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you are a saint. Now, I know that from a scriptural standpoint, you are a saint. You can just start calling me Saint Wendell. That'll be all right with me. But if we are children of God, then we are saints. If I am walking in the light, that means then I'm walking in maturity. Ephesians 5, 9, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And if I am walking in the light, it is beneficial to others because the light is shining on others. See? So he said that as a child of God, I walk in love, I walk in light, and I'm to walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5.15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. God has a plan for your life, and it will require the wisdom of God to know the plan and to follow it. Now, Finally, waiting for a Savior in verse number 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby wrote, Nothing will keep our minds more spiritual than looking for the coming of Christ. The return of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is our, our blessed hope, and it gives us great power in this life. Paul looked for the return of Christ, and the Bible says in Titus 2:13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Paul had power in his life because of his looking for the return of Christ. Do you ever feel that, that you have lost some power, that you are powerless in this world? I, I confess to you that I do at times. I mean, sometimes I struggle with it. I look around and I read the paper and I watch the news and do those things. And I see the hostility towards Christianity. I see the threats against our society and way of life and all those things. I I read about ISIS and how Christians around the world are being slaughtered. I, I read all of that. And there are times whenever I become very discouraged as a result of it. And then I remember that Jesus is going to come back in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He said that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I begin to become discouraged with this world, I remember Jesus Christ is coming again, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. There might be disappointments along the way, but ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming. And that is the power of the believer, that he is coming back. And that is also the hope of the believer in verse number 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. When he comes, when Jesus comes, the Bible says, not only that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, but that our bodies will be transformed. 1 Corinthians 15, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I believe when Jesus Christ comes back that our bodies will be transformed and they will be conformed 
to the glorified body of Jesus. What are we going to be like when we go to heaven? I think we're going to be like the resurrected Lord. Now, you might have a different opinion. That's all right. But that's what I believe. I believe that we're going to have a body. The scripture says that. And I believe that it will be like the resurrected body of the Lord. So let me conclude. We are citizens of earth, and that's important. We are citizens, and we need to be good citizens. We are citizens of earth. But as believers, we are also citizens of heaven. And we understand earth as we look from heaven's viewpoint. We had a prayer conference recently. Dr. Brazil asked the question, are we human beings having a spiritual experience or are we spiritual beings having a human experience? I believe we're both. We are human beings and we're spiritual beings. But the question I would ask you is are you a citizen of heaven? Have you been born into the kingdom, into the family of God? If not, ladies and gentlemen, you can be by repentance, confession, and faith. And it's my prayer that you would do that today. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you will apply it to our lives, to our hearts. And Father, I pray for those who have never come to know Christ, that even today they might. Lord, be with those who are seeking your will in other areas. Bless them, bless them in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. In just a moment, we'll stand. The choir will sing. We'll extend an invitation. If you're willing to trust Christ today, commit your life to him. You've come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.